Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.57 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 18th of January, 2022, and this is episode 527 of Bitcoin. And I didn't come to you yesterday because it was, well, come on, man. It was Martin Luther the King Day. We gotta, we gotta like take a break for Martin Luther the King. Now, look, the guy was, uh, the guy was actually pretty cool, but he was actually kind of sinister as well, man. I mean, he had a, a pretty sordid past. However, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. What do I mean by that? Well, it seems fairly clear that the CIA assassinated Martin Luther King and not some random dude. It's, I mean, it's pretty evident at this point. I, I don't think it can really be classified as a conspiracy uh, theory any longer. Uh, there's just too much evidence to suggest that he had, his phones were tapped. He was basically being like they were threatening to, I don't know, give his wife uh, evidence that he was having, you know, either one affair at least or multiple affairs. So, I mean, the guy wasn't exactly the cleanest dude on the block, but when the CIA decides to assassinate him, there's probably a reason for me to actually respect the man. But in tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King, let's do this one. You know, I wish more of the young children today would wear their hair naturally like Dr. Martin Luther King did. That's right. You ain't never seen Dr. Martin Luther King with no mess of jerry curl on his head. Ain't that right? Amen. Dr. King ain't come walk around like that. You know, sweet, I met Dr. Martin Luther King once. And you lying. You ain't never met Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, I met Dr. Martin Luther King in 1962 in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm walking down the street, minding my own business, just walking off, feeling good. I walk around the corner, man woke up, hit me in my chest, right? I fall on the ground, right? And I look up, and Dr. Martin Luther King, I said, Dr. King. He said, oops, I thought you were somebody else. Oh, man, you lying. You ain't never met Martin Luther the King. Knocked the wind out of me. Yes, he did. No, it didn't. Yes, he did. No, he did not. For those of you who are wondering what the hell that was, it's a scene from the movie Coming to America with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. If you haven't seen the original Coming to America... Uh, I highly advise it. That movie is freaking hilarious. And, you know, this is like one of the first movies that Eddie Murphy didn't really use any language at all. It it became fairly clear to Eddie Murphy in his um, in his career that he was going to shut down doing the adult stuff and was going to gear himself more towards children. And this is one of the first movies that he started. Not children. I meant families. But, you know, families include children. So he was basically cleaning up his act. And this was one of the first movies that he did where you really didn't see Eddie Murphy curse all that much. And it was still one of the funniest damn movies I've ever seen in my life. If you haven't seen Coming to America, then you're really doing yourself a disservice. That movie is freaking hilarious. It's just it's just gold from one end to the other. So... <clears throat> 
Now, news about the Twitter suspension. Um, I have been able to gain, regain access to Twitter under the handle Ghost of Nunya, all one word. That will be Ghost of Nunya, G-H-O-S-T-O-F-N-U-N-Y-A. I had to get, I, I'm using an email alias. I had to get Molvad VPN. And I had to get a, a telephone number from Google Voice. The problem is my alias, um, my uh, the alias email is attached to a ProtonMail account that was used for one of my prior accounts that was suspended in the first week of this new year of 2022. And the phone number from Google Voice is, has to be attached in a way to... Um, Oh God, my actual phone number, which was also used to register all three of the accounts that Twitter decided to ban. And they banned the living shit out of me too, by the way. It wasn't just like this, you know, weird ban. It was like anything, everything that I did to try to get back was just met with just nothing but like utter failure and very, very quickly as well. There are people that are come that are starting to follow me now at Ghost of Nunya that are saying, dude, you got the living shit banned out of you. It's like, it's like they're surprised. It, it, it's like they're surprised at just how banned I got. But what's really evident to me is just how much they noticed how banned I got. And that says quite a bit when you think about it. Just, I mean, it's like Twitter freaking hates me. So, I hope that Ghost of Nunya stays around, but because of <clears throat> the linkages that I have, A, it may not. I don't know. B, I kind of can't, I'm going to have to lay low on branding Bitcoin and through Twitter. So I'm going to be using BA in capital letters uh, for the time being when I do Bitcoin and stuff uh, because I... I, I don't know, man, their algorithms are, are brutal. Okay. So I, I just can't do that. Also not going to be able to go after journalists. Also not going to be able to say much shit about COVID. Uh, I'm just really going to have to be a good little boy because honestly, everybody's on Twitter except for the people that are getting banned. And what do we do? We do everything in our power to get back on that's the gravity well that is Twitter. And it's making us fragile. Fragile AF. As AF as you can possibly be. It is the epitome of fragility. <clears throat> Even though I am not a big fan of Nassim Taleb at this point because of his stance on Bitcoin and the fact that he just doesn't seem to, to relate to his own writings anymore. It's really odd. Be that as it may, he was right about anti-fragility and we need to get, we need to gain that function. If we're going to do gain a function, we need to gain anti-fragile <clears throat> and we're all so freakishly dependent on Twitter for this community that it's dangerous. It is very dangerous, but I get it. What else can you do? There, I mean, what are you going to do? Come up with yet one more social media platform that nobody's going to go to? I'm on Gitter. It's a ghost town. 
Um, uh, like I, I, I've been a user of BitcoinHackers.org, which is Rodolfo Novak's instance of Mastodon for well over two years. And it's a ghost town. Everybody's on Twitter. And when you get banned, what do you do? You go right back to Twitter. It's like I said, it's a gravity well. But when you get jacked and you get banned and you get banned as hard as I do, the thing that happens is you start losing your network of people. That's really important. And it's always been important. Networking has been one of the major functions of people that are wealthy or successful because you don't have to be wealthy to be successful. And you also don't have to be successful to be wealthy. You can inherit it, I guess. In either event, most of the successful people that are out there are successful because they have a large network and that large network provides different opportunities because different people are doing different things at different times. And the larger your network, the more likely it is that you're going to catch one of those opportunities. But when you are relying on a network that is as fragile as the Bitcoin Twitter network is, not because of Bitcoin and not because of us, but because the connections that we have to each other are mandated or not mandated, <clears throat> they are controlled top to bottom by a VC-backed California-based company that is filled with some of the slimiest people ever, which is one of the reasons why I believe that Jack bailed. He just couldn't handle the people that were coming into his organization anymore. And he's like, fine, I'm, I'm done. You guys have trashed it beyond compare. I wanna go do something else with my life because you people all suck. I really do wholeheartedly believe that that's why Jack left. And when he did leave, it became very evident to all of us just how much he was holding back the tide while he was there. I have seen more people that I know coming in to Gitter as well as the Mastodon instances that I know about saying that they've been banned. And then somehow or another, it's easy for them to get back on Twitter with like, you know, Ghost of Svetsky or, you know, Nakadai Mon got his uh, Twitter suspension lifted. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I, I don't know how it was that I pissed Twitter off so bad, but I am saying this. I highly recommend that you look into John Carvalho's Synonym Project. Synonym, S-Y-N-O-N-Y-M. I think it's uh, synonym.to or is it, it's either .to or I don't know. Hold on. It's, it's important enough for me to look for it. Uh, so I'm typing here uh, .to. Let's see if that's what, where it goes to. Yes, it's synonym.to, S-Y-N-O-N-Y-M.to. And part of this whole thing is about digital identity and being able to have those identities transportable. Now, he does not have plans, as I know of it, to build a social media network, and I don't think that we should be building a new social media network. I've talked about it before. We don't need it. We've got more than enough of a fractured landscape that what we really need is glue. Something that glues all the fragments together so that if one piece falls away, i.e. getting banned off Twitter, that your network is somehow or another sound and as large as it was 
when you didn't when you weren't banned from Twitter. You see what I'm saying? And somehow or another, I I really do believe that that's going to have something to do with digital identity. So again, John Carvalho, his uh, synonym project may be may offer at least one of the tools, if not a primary tool, to be able to do a trustless identity that can span multiple social media platforms. So with that said, let's get into the news and let's talk about, oh, let's talk about Goldman Sachs for a second. This is from Mike Blake out of Reuters, uh, care of CNBC. Goldman Sachs on Tuesday posted fourth quarter profits below analyst expectations as the bank's operating expenses surged 23% on higher pay for Wall Street workers and increased litigation reserves. So earnings, $10.81 a share versus the $11.60 or 76 cents that they were estimating. And the revenue is 12.64 billion versus 12.08 billion estimates. So they made more revenue, but their earnings went down because they were paying their executives more. So Goldman Sachs, as they bash Bitcoin, are now feeling the the you know some of the crunch of the the nest that they've made for themselves the bed that they've made for themselves because they are part of one of the reasons why the federal reserve and the treasury well whoever is actually printing money is printing money like they are i hope they all burn honestly now bitcoin news <clears throat> suppressed by world superpowers ethiopia should turn to bitcoin Project Mono is behind this writing from Bitcoin Magazine. The United States' recent decision to remove Ethiopia from the African Growth and Opportunity Act trade program is a significant and intentional blow to the Ethiopian people and their economy. The country exported around $3 billion worth of product in 2019. Removal from the AGOA will cut out approximately half of Ethiopia's exports to the United States, which states which has been the country's largest export market. According to a recent article in Foreign Policy, this removable, removal will force over 200,000 people, 80% of whom are young women, to lose their jobs. Those most affected by this particular move made by the U.S. are the Ethiopian people, not the Ethiopian government. And the result this is and sorry and the reason this is being done to ethiopia is no secret it is also no secret to ethiopians why they were allowed to be part of the agoa in the first damn place the message of many in ethiopia to the u.s regarding this removal has been consistent it is still not too late to stop what you are doing and start supporting a, de- a democratically elected government you can reverse the AGOA sanction on Ethiopia and save thousands of people their jobs and life security. This decision also damages Ethiopia's export market significantly, which will hurt the overall population. America can still support Ethiopia and earn back the trust of the Ethiopian people. We still believe America is capable of standing for its founding values. If this continues, however, it's clear that America will lose the hearts of Ethiopians to other superpower influences. Yeah, like China. It, it'll happen, dude. That's why they're doing that whole Belt and Road shit is to get into Africa. They, they're, they're also talking about like Europe, but their main goal, got, ladies and gentlemen, is Africa. 
And Ethiopia will definitely be one of those people that flock to China, and that's going to be a bad thing, y'all. As Senator James Inhofe of Oklahoma from the Republican Party said, other superpowers are already in Ethiopia, clearly ready to come off as more virtuous and supportive than the U.S. As of now, we still want to believe that it's not the U.S. as a whole that wants to divide us, but rather a small arm of the current administration, which is working hard to lose its longtime friend. Nothing says Black Lives Matter like enforcing the unwanted will of the U.S. onto Africans through unsympathetic and harsh foreign policy on an already impoverished continent. For Ethiopia, the only solution is to live outside of the centralized economic system of the world if, instead of choosing between which foreign superpower should influence us, we want real sovereignty. We will need real, non-fiat, internationally respected hard money that we can produce entirely upon our own. Freedom of sov and sovereignty isn't possible when all of these items we seek are audited by the centralized SWIFT system for days before they are either allowed or denied. Our developmental aspirations and wants are controlled by others who say yes or no based on how it benefits them. We need money we can move when we want to, money we can use to do what we want. We need the most secure, decentralized, and incredible achievement of mankind that no superpower can tamper with. We need Bitcoin now more than ever. Ethiopia doesn't have much that it can sell without the approval of the superpower nations. The only thing that can be sold without anyone's approval is energy, not to a nation, but to a network. The Bitcoin network pays energy providers with, or that would be miners, with uh, Bitcoin and Ethiopia has enough installed generation capacity to make $4 billion to $6 billion per year just in the short term, making the damages done by AGOA sanctions seem insignificant. Ethiopia has about six. 60,000 megawatts of untapped potential energy capacity with only 6,000 megawatts. Project Mano has projected that Bitcoin mining would yield $2 billion to $3 billion annually at $25,000 BTC prices, or more like $4.5 billion to $5 billion at today's BTC prices. Over 4,500 megawatts of power capacity have been built to support the AGOA-based companies that are leaving that energy could immediately be used to generate even more money than it was generating while being used by AGOA manufacturing companies. Ethiopia flagship project GERD, G-E-R-D, can generate 6,000 megawatts by itself and remains remote, making it very expensive for internal or external use, but perfect for Bitcoin mining. Alex Gladstein has written the following about how Bitcoin mining can help developing nations accelerate their growth while simultaneously increasing their foreign currency and energy access. Quote, <clears throat> billions of people in developing nations face the stranded power problem. In order for their economies to grow, they have to expand their electrical infrastructure, a capital-intensive and complex undertaking. But when they build power plants to try to capture renewable energy in remote places, that power often has nowhere to go. Here's where Bitcoin could be an incentives game changer. New power plants, no matter how remote, can generate immediate revenue, even with no transmission lines, by directing their energy to the Bitcoin network and turning sunlight, water, or wind into money. With Bitcoin, any excess energy can be redirected to mining until the communities around the plant catch up, end quote. <clears throat> This is what Ethiopia should be doing to counter the AGOA sanctions. 
provide power to the Bitcoin network to generate billions of dollars to use for its own aspirations with unsanctionable money that could be converted to any country's currency at any time without anyone's approval. All Ethiopia needs to do to generate billions of dollars is to use its already installed generation capacity. But that's not where its potential ends, sorry. The 60,000 megawatts of potential energy that the country has is obviously not easy to realize. If Ethiopia invites Bitcoiners around the world to help us realize our energy potential, the kindest souls will come help set up a power infrastructure that the population can use while also helping to convert the excess energy into money that is fully sovereign. All Ethiopia has to do to, is to open its arms and express its energy aspirations. The nuances of these agreements will matter greatly, but if planned well, all Ethiopians will benefit. Any power source, no matter how remote, can be used to mine Bitcoin. The more energy we realize, the more we will develop our economy. The faster we will close our trade deficits. The more Bitcoin we will mine, the more energy we will realize, the more our economy grows. And this will all be a repeating cycle. We sincerely ask the Ethiopian government to seriously look into mining Bitcoin to solve our most challenging problems and say no more to the foreign interference into our culture and economy. Thank God. You know, the, the movement continues. We've been seeing it in Latin America. We're seeing it in, in the, on the continent of Africa. And it's a good thing. It is a good thing. Latin America and Africa are two regions of the world that have been the most repressed by superpower governments from around the world. Everybody else doesn't seem to be, you know, so bad off. I mean, shit, even in... <clears throat> Even in a lot of East Asian countries, they have better internet access than we do here in the United States. And when I mean better, I mean a, a lot, a lot better, like massive pipes as opposed to the tiny ass trickle that I get in my rural community out here in the panhandle of Texas. So uh, again, Removing Ethiopia from African Growth and Opportunity Act trade program. I, honestly, I don't even know why. Ethiopia is a large country. And, you know, these sanctions are going to have to either stop or these sanctions are going to have to be routed around. And the only thing that we have that can do that, well, you guessed it, that's Bitcoin. Now, on to Latin America. El Salvador government advisor Monica Tayer is empowering women through Bitcoin. This is Josh Doña from Bitcoin Magazine. With more than 73,000 Twitter followers, he's like to pause again. Anti-fragility is key moving forward. When we start off an article that says with more than 73,000 Twitter followers, Monica Taylor is an influential thought leader. Yeah, she is until she gets fucking deleted and she loses her network. We've got to stop this. We've got to figure this out. Hit up John Carvalho. I shit you not. Bitcoin error log on Twitter. I know it makes me sick just thinking about the fact that I just railed against Twitter and here I am giving you who? A Bitcoin error logs handle so that you can get in touch with John Carvalho and ask him questions about synonym. See what I mean? We're, we're being funneled into this hole in the ground and it's not stable. 
we are we are depending on a on something that is so not stable it's not even funny but i digress anyway she is focused on personal finance fashion and entrepreneurship and she's passionate about empowering women in el salvador and internationally through bitcoin as a native of San Salvador and technology and economic international affairs advisor for El Salvador's trade investments secretariat, Tayer has played a significant role in guiding her country to lead the world in Bitcoin adoption. In this exclusive interview for Bitcoin Magazine, she shares her thoughts on the big picture of Bitcoin adoption, specifically for women in El Salvador, as well as worldwide. So the question is, what cultural barriers keep women from thriving in the Bitcoin space? Answer. If you look at numbers in the U.S. within the technology ecosystem, only 24% of those people happen to be women. So it's just so is it just a consequence that we're going to have similar numbers for Bitcoin? For us in El Salvador and in any other Latin American society, we also have another factor that impedes women from competing at the same level with men, machismo or machismo. It does exist, we can't deny it. It's very hard to penetrate an area that is traditionally male dominated because we're also looking about the finances and banking industries, which are also dominated by men. If you add the fact that there are less women on corporate boards here in El Salvador, I think it is just a reflection of what we see in technology in general. <clears throat> what does a financially empowered woman in Latin America look like? Answer, because we're talking about money and not just Bitcoin, the ideal scenario for a woman in Latin America would look like a woman who is really well educated about her personal finances. She is not only academically educated, but she also starts investing at an early age. We grew up with parents telling us you should save, but they don't teach us how or in what financial vehicles. We're not getting that type of education in elementary school where it should start. For a society to empower women, there needs to be an educational reform in regards to finances where everybody learns about saving and investing in the real world. Schools prepare people for either to either fail in society or just be employees as opposed to teaching how to be entrepreneurs. As opposed to teaching us how to have a nine to five job, they should teach students how to run a business. That's what, for me, an empowered woman in Latin America looks like. More entrepreneurs, women who are more daring about starting a business, who have the ability to access capital and the tools to create wealth. Now, I'm going to pause right here and say, that's not just for women, ladies and gentlemen. It's not. What she just said right there is true for men as well as women in today's world. In the past, she's probably correct. But I guarantee you, if you go find me a 17-year-old junior in high school that is a man that knows how to start a business as they were taught in their school system, you will not find that because they don't teach that to anybody. That's even in the United States. Okay, there's probably better opportunity in Latin America because they don't have the screwed up school system that we have. But I'm just saying, just because she's talking about women does not mean that this shit isn't happening to men now. It is the entire population that has been stupefied into believing that all they'll ever be able to do is get a nine to five job. And that just ain't true. The tools that enable people to do that are exactly what she said in that last answer. Continuing on, how can Bitcoin help make that vision a reality? Well, 70% of the population in El Salvador don't have bank accounts, which is huge. 
Out of the 70%, the majority happen to be women. How can Bitcoin help them in El Salvador? Well, number one, they will have access to digital money because everyone has a phone here. You can be really poor in El Salvador and still own a phone because many get remittances and everybody wants to be online. Data shows that a large percentage of the population owns two phones because it's very easy to buy mobile chips if you have a cell phone number in Latin America. Number two, they will have access to more buying power. A person sending a remittance, let's say to me, is not going to pay extra fees because they'll be using the Shivo wallet. And I'm not going to be paying any fees either because I'm also going to be using the Chivo wallet. So right there, for sending $200, they're going to save from 10 to 15 bucks. That's money for them. Everybody wants to save. Even if it's $1, $5, they want to save. So that's another thing, more buying power. Number three. Bitcoin opens the door for lower interest rates if they want to get a loan. Right now, if you want to buy a home in El Salvador, interest rates are ranging from 12 to 15%, which is ridiculous. Many people cannot buy homes because of that. On top of that, you need to give the down payment and sometimes you don't have enough assets to show that you can back up that investment so they don't give you the loan. Some companies offer loans backed by Bitcoin and they offer interest rates as low as 2%. Which rate are you going to take if your options are 12 or 2%? 2%, of course. Access to housing gives you access to many other things because now you own a home and you can work towards a better life. The fourth point is that Bitcoin really shows and teaches you how to save and how to invest. You can go around the corner and buy coffee with Bitcoin, but at the same time, you can save that five to 10 bucks because you're thinking, oh my God, this thing is going to go up in value. You're forced to save in a way, and it's teaching people to do just that. So there are a lot of advantages. Bitcoin is going to change society. I'm absolutely convinced. <clears throat> What's your message to Latinas in Bitcoin as they start on their journeys? Definitely to get educated. We're seeing what's happening with academia. The status quo is changing, meaning that perhaps now you don't really need to do the four years to get your bachelor's degree because you can do it online through any institution you choose. There are so many platforms that can help you get hired and start making a lot of money as a programmer or developer. What I would say to women is to definitely get educated. It doesn't matter if they do it online because they want to save money and don't want to go to a four-year college. Just to get educated on the careers in the future because that's what's going to help them have a bigger and more powerful future. How can social media play a role in educating women on Bitcoin? I'm pretty vocal on social media. I really think that more women should do that as well. The more women start talking about Bitcoin on social media, then they're going to have more followers because women are going to be intrigued about the fact that these women are talking about Bitcoin. And then it's going to be a chain reaction, a domino effect. More and more women will join. Even if it's just virtual, at least they're going to get educated because they're going to start watching videos and reading comments and putting two and two together. I really think that social media gives us an incredible platform to amplify these messages and all women should do it. Yes, until you get banned. <clears throat> Conclusion, as Tehar makes clear, though Latin American women face unique hurdles on their path towards leading in the technology and business arenas, they can leverage the benefits of Bitcoin to clear those barriers and usher in a new era of equality in fields traditionally dominated by men. The power of education cannot be understated as education can create a bright future for girls growing up in Latin America and beyond. And with accessibility to learning via technology at an unprecedented level in history, that future is within reach. 
As El Salvador continues to lead the world in Bitcoin adoption, Tayer will continue to pave the way for Salvadorans and Latin Americans of all kinds to thrive on the Bitcoin standard. So there you go. Again, thank you, Josh Donia from Bitcoin Magazine. Um, <clears throat> this isn't just for women. All the advice that she gives for women are just as easily applicable and should be applied by men around the world in every fucking country in the world. I'm just saying. It, this, this is a piece that's headed, oh, it's about women. No, it's not. It's about people. It's about people. People have been shortchanged. You're not taught decent economics in school at the high school level. And even the economics classes that you take, even if you were to take Austrian economics, and you can't do that, by the way, in any high school or college, <clears throat> they probably would fail to teach you how to balance checkbook. You know, how, how do you get loans? How do you run numbers on getting a loan and making sure that you're able to service that loan and that loan doesn't become an actual burden? There's math there. They're not going to teach you that. They're, they don't teach entrepreneurship to women or to men, to women or to men. I'm going to say it one more time to women or to men. This is an equally screwed situation. If you want equality, welcome to it. Here it is. Here's your equality. Nobody gets taught real economics. Nobody gets taught real entrepreneurship. Nobody gets taught how to handle finances. Nobody gets taught anything of any value whatsoever in school around the world today, unless you're part of the very elite and you go off to a boarding school, which means that you can ditch your relationship with your parents for like, you know, a decade, then you're not going to know this shit. Um, it sucks, but be that as it may, we've got to run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities and holy shit are flammable liquids on fire this morning. West Texas Intermediate up 1.65%. Again, repeating, that's 1.65% to $85.20 a barrel. Britain or Sea likewise up oh zero no, actually 1.12% to $87.45. Natural gas up one and a third to $4.31 per thousand cubic feet, gasoline up almost a full point, $2.44 a gallon. Gold is down, scant, 0.07 to $1,815. Silver up two and a quarter percent to $23.44. Platinum is up 1.28% and copper is down, scant, 0.03. Palladium, however, is up a point and one-fifth. Agricultural futures, as usual, are mixed. Wheat as the biggest gain today, three points to the upside. Sugar on its heels, two and a quarter percent to the upside. Biggest loser that I can see today is going to be soybeans down uh, three quarters of a point. Let's see, Dow futures down 1.6%. S&P futures down 1.3%. NASDAQ futures down 1.18 and S&P mini down 1.4. You know what they're bracing for? They're bracing for the rate hikes that I don't believe are ever going to happen. I think they'll do one and it's going to trash the living crap out of everything. And then Jay Powell 
is going to go, oh shit, and do an about face and, and, and lower their interest rates back down and start printing the living crap out of money. You thought we saw printing money as a bad thing uh, earlier in, over the last couple of years. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till they start breaking the economy in ways that they even they recognize. All the other shit, it's not that they don't recognize it, it's that all the shit that they've done, they can kind of sweep it under the rug. But when they raise interest rates, their friends at Goldman Sachs and Bank of America and every other investment bank and all their VC pals are going to be on the phone like it, like they were calling jet, you know, like uh, the pastor Graham to figure out how to come to Jesus. It's going to be this massive come to Jesus moment when they actually raise rates. And I think they'll do it once. If they're really stupid, they'll do it twice, but I don't think that they can survive it. Anyway, moving on. Real money is at $41,500, uh, 264,000 transactions done in the last 24 hours. That's 11,000 transactions uh, per hour. 659,000 BTC sent in that last 24 hour period. That's 27,500 BTC sent on average every hour with an average transaction value of two and a half BTC and a median transaction value low at 0.014 BTC or $574. Block times are slightly high, 10 minutes and 13 seconds. 0.063 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 8.9 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a 5.94% drop in hash rate and we are now down below 200 exahashes per second. And I think it was Friday that we hit an all-time high of 206 exahashes per second, but I'm not exactly sure. Your shitcoin indicator as usual is Doge, 16.3 shiny United States pennies and it shouldn't be worth one. The price of Bitcoin for Clark Moody's uh, dashboard is 41,715. That's 2,397 sats per dollar. We have a $789.8 billion market capitalization. That is 6.61% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you can buy 22.9 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin with which there are. 18,933,035 and a quarter in circulation. That is 90.16% of all Bitcoin that will ever be issued. There are 3,031 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear. And it looks like, where, where am I at? I had to change uh, my Clark Moody dashboard around a little bit today. Uh, so I'm a little confused. Um, well, okay. Fair enough, I'm always confused, what the fuck. Capacity value of the Lightning Network is $138.9 million. That's 3,331 and a half BTC as total capacity. Being run over 18,845 nodes, representing 83,963 total payment channels. 2,542 BTC are of those BTC in the Lightning Network are being run over Tor at an all-time high of 76.3%. And that's being handled by 11,780 Tor nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Ukraine demonstrates how Bitcoin can transform developing countries. 
Dmitro Kaharov has this one from Bitcoin Magazine. The case of Ukraine is used to demonstrate the positive transformation that can be achieved via the growing adoption of Bitcoin. The relevant implications for personal finance, pensions, capital accumulation, economic independence, and blockchain education are outlined below. The possibility of reaching a compromise on Bitcoin use among members of the public and private sector for radically transforming Ukraine's economy is explained. The potential for promoting further positive changes in Eastern Europe and the Commonwealth of Independent States region is specified. So, <clears throat> according to the Austrian School of Economics, with the original contribution of Eugen von Baum-Barwick and further developments of Ludwig von Mises and Murray N. Rothbard, capital accumulation and investments are the major preconditions of a sustainable economic growth. Other th all things being equal, lower time preference contribute to more sophisticated production cycles and higher long-term output. However, most developing countries suffer from lack of savings and investments. Moreover, a high degree of socioeconomic uncertainty and low financial stability result in comparatively high time preferences and insufficient capital accumulation. The existing intergovernmental and international monetary fund programs do not affect the underlying causes of economic problems, thus preventing such countries from realizing their socioeconomic potential. The rapid adoption of Bitcoin by residents of developing countries offers a unique and decentralized solution to most of the current challenges. The case of Ukraine effectively illustrates both the problems associated with traditional economic policy solutions and potential Bitcoin-related benefits. The prevalence of the paper fiat system and centralized management has created the following issues in the country. Quote, bleh, quote, no. Number one, the average inflation rate in Ukraine during the past 10 years equals 11.2%. Such high inflation negatively affects savings and long-term investments in strategic projects. Two, according to the 2021 Index of Economic Freedom, Ukraine's economy is characterized as being mostly unfree with the lowest scores in the investment and financial freedom sectors. With the underdeveloped stock market and unstable banking system, ordinary citizens have minimal opportunities for effectively investing their funds. Three, the large-scale crisis of the post-Soviet solidarity pension system, intensified by demographic problems, has resulted in 80% of single pensioners living below the poverty line and Prime Minister Denis Shamail making warnings about the risk of the government's inability to pay pensions in 15 years. Such a situation directly affects both current pensioners and all employers. While the ineffectiveness of traditional centralized approaches is generally recognized even by government officials, the growing adoption of Bitcoin in Ukraine may provide unique opportunities for ordinary citizens and innovative startups. One, Bitcoin allows achieving a deflationary economic environment for its owners. Bitcoin is appreciated to the Ukrainian national currency by about 17,000% since its creation in 2009. Thus, every person receives an adequate opportunity to not only protect their savings from inflation, but also enjoy their considerable appreciation of the invested funds in the following years. Two, the decentralized nature of Bitcoin makes it available for all people globally, although some governments impose restrictions in this field. However, most authorities, including the Ukrainian government, recognize the emergence of new economic realities and have legalized Bitcoin for this reason. 
Even despite the existing regulatory issues with open markets in the country, Ukrainians can effectively integrate into the global financial and innovative system. Three, startups can effectively present their innovations to foreign partners and strategic investors. Blockchain technologies, oh God, contribute to the growing demand for new projects based on a peer-to-peer network and cryptographic keys. Thus, the rates of capital accumulation may increase proportionally with positive implications that, that, that sorry positive implications for different sectors in of the ukraine's economy four bitcoin also creates additional opportunities for minimizing the prevalence of corruption and government inefficiencies of different types according to recent declarations ukrainian government officials own some 46,351 btc implying their recognition of the unique benefits of bitcoin as a store of value and decentralized blockchain system The growing consensus on Bitcoin among members of the public and private sector is critical for transforming Ukraine into a more open society with the recognition of basic income rights for all citizens. Five, regardless of the progress in government reforms implementation, current employees can invest their funds in Bitcoin to accumulate sufficient savings that will allow them to increase the purchasing power of their assets in the long run. The most important aspect is that every person becomes able to independently and effectively ensure their financial stability rather than remaining a passive object of government policies. Six, Bitcoin significantly affects the intellectual climate of Ukraine, creating the higher demand for the quality of cryptocurrency analytics. Bitcoin Magazine recently established a news bureau in Ukraine that may provide the informational assistance to increasing Bitcoin adoption in Eastern Europe and the CIS region. The CEO of Bitcoin Magazine, David Bailey, stressed the critical role of such developing countries as El Salvador and Ukraine in determining the future of money. The above evaluation indicates that developing countries experience the most urgent need for utilizing unique financial and technological opportunities associated with Bitcoin adoption by residents of their countries. The case of Ukraine proves the possibility of the rapid transformation of the regulatory, institutional, and intellectual environment under the impact of innovative and decentralized solutions. The higher rates of innovation and capital accumulation may contribute to the growing national and global sustainability with the main priority assigned to economic freedom of every person. Okay, well, so Ukraine and Ukraine is, you know, sort of has been in the news about Bitcoin uh, for least at least the last two years and pretty solidly over the last one year. Um, Again, if you haven't heard me rail about it before, it's not the West and Westernized countries. And I'm going to include Russia and China in the Westernized countries because the economic capacity of both of those, not just capacity, but capabilities, the economic capability and capacity of China and Russia, as well as Western Europe, the United States and Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you know, a lot of Eastern Asia, they have a multiplicity. They have a manifold of different types of financial instruments and ways to move money. And they're, they're fine. They're not the ones that are going to be adopting Bitcoin because it's not in their best interest to do so. It is, however, in the best interest of all of Latin America, all of Eastern Europe, all of the continent of Africa, 
Okay, the Balkans. Uh, you know, uh, let's see what else. Uh, the Balkans. Uh, what else? There's there's one other place that I usually mention, and also like you know impoverished people that are even living in places like Egypt and Saudi Arabia and whatnot like that, because the the poor exist. The poor will always be with you. Jesus told us that. So there's poor in every country, no matter how rich they are. There's always going to be poor, and no matter how poor they are, clearly they're always going to be poor. That's who Bitcoin works for. And that happens, by the way, to be most of the people on the fucking planet. I'm putting my money with most of the people on the planet because it's a majority. And at one point or another, the majority is going to rise up and the majority is going to say, no more, I'm done with it. Screw you. Now, back over here in the West, we have Texas forging on. Joseph Hall tells us more from Cointelegraph, Bitcoin miner rhodium set for IPO and it's valued at 1.7 billion with a B dollars. The first IPO for the crypto industry in 2022 comes from Texas-based Bitcoin mining company, Rhodium Enterprises. In an SEC filing made last week, Rhodium plans to offer 7.69 million shares at 12 to 14 bucks a pop in an initial public offering, trading under the ticket uh, ticker RHDM on NASDAQ, 56.8 million Class A and 67.5 million Class B shares will be released, ultimately valuing the company at just shy of $1.7 billion. Rhodium is a cryptocurrency technology company that uses proprietary tech and liquid cooling technology to self-mine Bitcoin. That's that's important. Not only self-mining, but the liquid cooling. That's a big thing. You need to watch that space, by the way. Liquid cooling technology is going to take off in a big, big way. Their goal is to be the most sustainable and cost-efficient producer of Bitcoin in the industry. The company joins a growing list of U.S.-based companies that mine Bitcoin. Over the past three years, Marathon, BitDeer Technologies, Riot Blockchain, and BitDigital listed on stock exchanges such as NASDAQ. According to the filing, Rhodium currently runs 125 megawatts of mining power capacity at its first Texas site. 33,600 Bitcoin miners are running, churning out a total combined hash rate capacity of approximately 2.7 exahashes per second. According to the filing, oh, sorry, following the IPO and a raise of $100 million in capital, it will run a second site in Texas where they expect to develop 225 megawatts of additional capacity. By the end of 2022, the company will effectively more than double its current capacity, bearing in mind that the average cost per BTC in 2021 was about 47K, their electricity cost basis is staggering. Quote, our infrastructure platform allows us to mine Bitcoin at a significantly lower cost compared to the industry average. From the period from January 1st, 2021 to September 30th, 2021, our average electricity cost to produce one Bitcoin was approximately $2,500. And they were getting $47,000 if they were selling it on the open market. And I don't know if they were or not. Continuing, Texas continues to carve out a reputation as a Bitcoin mining friendly state. A quarter, uh, a quarter for, oh, sorry, in 
The fourth quarter of 2021, Senator Ted Cruz commented that Texas should use Bitcoin mining to capture wasted natural gas, while the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, (laughs) ERCOT is the worst at reliability, by the way, and it's not Texas's only grid, okay? Stop saying that. ERCOT is most of Texas, but it ain't all of Texas, okay? Up here in the panhandle of Texas, we are not on ERCOT. Down in Lubbock, they are on ERCOT. And I'm not sure about extreme West Texas, like you get into Alpine and stuff like that on the extreme West side of Texas, but um, I'm not sure if they're on ERCOT or not. But I do know that when uh, last winter, when we were having problems in Texas, I suffered nothing but two blackouts that lasted 15 minutes apiece. That was it. Because we're not on ERCOT. ERCOT sucks by the way. Rhodium takes advantage of Texas's independent power market and abundance of low-cost renewable energy resources and pro-Bitcoin business environment, given the company's experience with liquid cooling technology and efficiency for tiny Bitcoin miners seeking to solve valid blocks. It just got a bit harder. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's actually true. If you're plugged into a pool and you're just getting like uh, KYC free sats, even if you're not getting all that much, you know, and, and there's a lot of people that are like, they will spend the money on the electricity to get KYC f- sats, even though at today's prices, they're actually losing, they're quote unquote losing money, but they're not selling that Bitcoin. They're keeping it as KYC free Bitcoin. So I'm not sure if it's technically valid to say that small miners are going to get crushed because it depends on what your incentives are, right? Right. Now, speaking of incentives, BitMEX looks like they might be rising from the ashes. Ezra Reguera tells us more from Cointelegraph. BitMEX execs reveal European Union expansion with a German bank acquisition. Holy shit. Founded by BitMEX Group CEO Alexander Hoptner and CFO Stefan Lutz, BXM Operations AG announced today its plans to acquire Bankhouse Vonderheit, one of the oldest banks in Europe, to create a regulated crypto one-stop shop in Germany, Austria, as well as Switzerland. Dietrich von Bachner, the owner of the German bank and BXM, have already signed a purchase agreement. However, it still requires the approval of BaFin, the German Financial Services Regulatory Authority. Authority. The purchase is expected to be complete by mid-2022. According to the announcement, the company's objectives is to expand its operations in Europe. Following the launch of brokerage service BitMEX Link in Switzerland, the acquisition of Bankhouse Vonderheit aims to make room for one more product development and reach expansion for BitMEX. BitMEX CEO Alexander Hopner says that a mixture of the digital asset expertise of Bankhouse Vonderheit and the innovative or innovation and scale of BitMEX may lead to great things. Quote, I believe we can create a regulated crypto products powerhouse <clears throat> in the heart of Europe, he said. BitMEX CFO Stephen Lutz also shared his thoughts about Germany. According to Lutz, Germany, being the largest economy in Europe, makes it a good market for BitMEX's European expansion. Other crypto exchanges are also announcing their entry to Europe. Mercado Bitcoin operator Brazilian 2TM Group recently announced its entry into Portugal. The exchange revealed their acquisition of a controlling stake in Crypto Loja 
a crypto exchange licensed by Portugal's central bank. Meanwhile, other firms are also making a push to expand the crypto ecosystem. Gemini Exchange also recently announced that it will acquire Bitria, a San Francisco-based startup. The firm will integrate several features created by Bitria into its exchange. So there you go. Arthur Hayes, not dead yet. Although I am confused because I thought Arthur Hayes was the CEO of all of BitMEX, but apparently this is BitMEX Group, which is a different thing. I'm just saying, BitMEX is not dead. If you thought BitMEX is dead, you were wrong. BitMEX is not dead. And I fully expected Arthur Hayes to pull something out of his ass because he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy to, to not go down swinging, right? So here he is, Arthur Hayes, kind of swinging for the fences. And I'm not sure exactly how he's affiliated with BitMEX at this point, but you know, you know Arthur Hayes is not dead. And you also know that he's not completely given up the reins of BitMEX. In either event... It just goes to make you wonder, will BitMEX come back with 1,500x leverage positions in their derivatives products? I don't know. I just hope that they don't. Chinese police unearth a multi-million dollar DeFi rug pull. Oh, DeFi causing problems? Who would have guessed? Cointelegraph's uh, Frasent Jia has it. Beijing's crackdown on crypto continues with the start of the new year, with the Chinese police freezing nearly 6 million yuan, or $1 million uh, US worth of crypto and arresting eight people involved in it. <clears throat> As per a report published in Nikkei Asia, the Public Security Bureau of Shijiao unearthed a crypto rug pull scam that could be worth 50 million yuan, $7.8 million US. The police began an investigation after an investor lost 590,000 yuan worth of crypto in June last year. The trial of the inquiry led to eight people living in different provinces. The police also seized luxury cars, villas, and other expensive items from the accused that were allegedly purchased using the stolen money. The decentralized finance scam lured investors with promises of high returns by swapping liquidity. However, after investors put in their money, the scammers laundered the money from anonymous pools and got away with all the funds. The Shizhou Public Safety or Public Security said, quote, After the investigation and analysis by the police task force, it was found that in this case, uh, a typical case of illegal obtaining virtual currency by using blockchain technology. Sorry, I was a little bumpy, but, you know, Chinese translations to English aren't always clear. Rug pulls have become one of the most common scams in the DeFi space that is, as it is comparatively easier to pull off. According to chain analysis data, investors lost over 2.8 billion with a B to rug pulls in 2021. These types of scams often offer investors lucrative returns. And once the pool has got enough capital, the scammers run away with all the money. Oh, you think? Chain analysis report said rug pulls have emerged as the go-to scam of the DeFi ecosystem, accounting for 37% of all cryptocurrency scam revenue in 2021 versus just 1% in 2020. <laughs> Dude, it was just 1% being a rug pull, just literally just getting people to throw their money into a massive pool and then pull the plug and run away was 1% two years ago. And now it's a third, actually over a third. Just, just 
Stay away from this shit. While crypto used for criminal activities is estimated to be about 1% of the circulating supply, the growing scams in the DeFi space have affected investors' confidence. However, it is also important to note that these scams often prey on the vulnerabilities of the end user rather than an inherent issue with the crypto technology. Data from the top 15 largest rug pulls makes it evident that most of the biggest scams happened with new tokens promising high returns. Oh, yay. DeFi added again, stealing your money, stay away from it. At one point or another, I do wholeheartedly believe that that decentralized finance will actually happen. But this, what they call DeFi today, is not actually decentralized finance. It's all a scam. And if it's not meant to be a scam, it's going to be accidentally a scam because they're not doing the shit that they need to do to secure everything. And even if they were, what are you getting? You're, I don't know, harvesting. What the hell are you doing? I, you, you use Ethereum to buy papaya token, which you then convert to sushi token and then farm some other kind of liquidity pool and then do like some kind of contract. It, and it's all very confusing, but at the end of the day, here's what doesn't happen. Businesses are not financed and therefore cannot be built through DeFi. Houses are not able to be financed through DeFi because they're, they're, DeFi does nothing. It's a, it's a circle jerk. And after you're all done with your circle jerk, guess what happens? You lose all your money. I'm just saying, just stay as far away from it as you can and that's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Just a reminder here at the end uh, that if you want to follow me on Twitter for right now, I am Ghost of Nunya, G-H-O-S-T-O-F-N-U-N-Y-A, Ghost of Nunya, because I used to be Nunya Business and now I'm dead. The B-E-N-N-D-7-7 Twitter account was fried beyond all recognition, so I had to do some other things as I pointed out at the top of the show. But if you want to follow me there, please do so. I'm trying to reconstitute my network as best as I can. I've had to leverage several tools, Gephi being one of them. I used to capture all of my tweet data from uh, BENND77 as a user. So anybody that responded to me, retweeted me, uh, said hello to me, anything that I tweeted, anything, if it had anything to do with my account and tweets that I made, and people that I associated with was all captured and I'm able to actually reduce that into a database of usernames and I'm having to go through, (laughs) I'm having to go through and hand enter in 2,500 names so that I can reconstitute my Bitcoin list and my, and my follower list and, and the people that I followed. And it's, while it's going well, it's, it's never going to be like it was. There's a, each account, so especially in social media has a fingerprint and that fingerprint will never be the same. Even if it's the same guy trying to run the show on a different account, it's never going to be the same because the ecosystem keeps changing. Do you have any idea how many, I mean, I've put in at least 20 names from my spreadsheet of all the data that I've captured. And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. 20 accounts that I've put in out of the 250 that I've been able to enter in so far are all banned. 
they're all suspended. 20 out of two out of over 200, that's almost eight, nine percent of all the people that I ever knew on Twitter are fucking gone or under different names. And that's what I mean. That's why I'm telling you, ghost of Nunya, ghost of Nunya, ghost of Nunya, go follow me so that I can reconstitute my network. And at that point, I got to work really hard to figure out how to keep that. Because honestly, harvesting the data through the Twitter API is not the best way to do it. But right now, it seems to be the only way to do it. Also, yes, you can re, you can request from Twitter a backup of all the tweets that you've ever made, which at one point or another I did, but I did it in the early part of 2021. And honestly, or no, actually, I think it was even before that. I think it was 2019. So anything that happened after 2019, that, that uh, data isn't going to show. So I was never able to, like in most of the activity that I was, like most of the, um, fun that I was having, most of the followers that I got came in after I had requested all my data. So that's not going to be of help. Again, synonym, synonym, uh, to check out John Carvalho, hit up Bitcoin Airlog on Twitter. I know it's, it's ironic that I'm having to do this and it's damn near hypocritical and I'm almost hysterical about it, by the way, because it's like, it's so bad. It's so bad, but I've got to work with what I have. All of us have to work with what we have and working with what we have means that we got to come up with some kind of glue. I'm going to say it again, the social media and the network, our personal networking are fragmented across multiple social media platforms and things that look like social media platforms. People that we follow on Twitter have a different username than they do on Instagram. So sometimes they're the same, a lot of times they're the same, but not always. How, how the fuck do we keep in touch with each other when bad things happen, like getting banned off of Instagram and you've got 10,000 followers, you get banned off of Twitter and you've got 20,000 followers. There's gotta be a way. And it does not include building a new social media platform like Gitter or Mastodon or something like that. It's using Gitter and Mastodon and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and if you like to do that, and LinkedIn and all the rest of them. And somehow or another, stitch them together so that not only do you know who I am on every single platform with one single identity, but that I know everybody and all of their aliases on every single platform in a very easy, very transportable, very recordable way. And I do believe that John Carvalho may have a good chance at unlocking that because then we don't need a new platform. We can just use all the platforms and it won't fucking matter. One thing that I do want is some kind of GUI that is a central repository for all my feeds from Telegram, from Twitter, from Instagram, from Facebook, from LinkedIn, from whatever, whatever two, whatever three, whatever four, whatever five. And that my ability to interact with them are all harbored within this digital identity that, and, and big, big if here, if and only if, that can't be scuttled by John Carvalho. And I don't think that he wants to do that. I think he really does want to make it to where they can't, but be that as it may. So if, if I follow you and you get deleted off of Twitter, 
I know exactly where to find you on every other social media platform. That's what I'm talking about. We don't need another fracture in the landscape. We've already got too many as it is. Gab and Gitter and Mastodon and, and MeWe and Facebook and YouTube and PeerTube and all these tubes and Twitch and Twitch 2 and Twitch 3. It's too fractured, ladies and gentlemen. We do not need one more protocol to come up that enables us to move all of our identity and shit like that to yet one more platform so that we can hope to gather all the people that we know, you know, 1% of which may actually come over to that new platform. It is ridiculous. It is a waste of time. It's a waste of energy all the way around from creating the platform to trying to use the platform. I'm already sick of Getter. And honestly, Macedon is not really doing it for me. It's just not. We've got to figure out a way to transcend the fractured landscape and see all of it at once. And the only way that we can do that is with some kind of identity that, I don't know, that's recognized by all the platforms or something that we can fool, something that we can attach you know, like BNND77 attaches to my synonym identity and Bitcoin and on Instagram, I attach that to that identity. And I have access to like all of the people that follow me on all of the platforms and all of their identities and all of their sub identities in a spreadsheet that I can easily reconstitute anywhere who it is that I need to refollow. See, that's what I'm talking about. So, plug a total plug he's not paying me i don't work for john i like john i always have he's a good guy john carvalho synonym synonym that is s-y-n-o-n-y-m dot t-o go check it out go hit up john ask questions and i'll see you on the other side this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.